Hello and welcome to the Have We Got Planning News For You podcast series. My name is Charlie Banner and I'm a member of the panel of the show, which is made up of five senior barristers who specialise in planning law, who came together at the start of lockdown last year to inform, entertain and most importantly help raise money for charity. We've never charged the show, but we've always encouraged viewers to make a donation, either to the NHS Combined Charities page or other charities such as Shelter or Local Charity of your choice. You'll find details on our website. Enjoy the podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this special edition of Have We Got Planning News For You. It's a very special edition because it is being done for the Young Planners Conference. We are delighted to be asked to do this by Laura Archer, who you can see on the screen. And we immediately said, yes, any opportunity to show off and talk, and we're there. So um, we're really delighted that you asked us, uh, Laura, like everything at the moment, it's virtual. Uh, it has to be recorded. Um, that's because we can't guarantee how well we behave. Um, and especially in this episode, when we're going to be slightly less sensible than we normally are, if indeed we are ever sensible. Now, you see that Laura joins us on the screen, which is brave to say the least. Most young planners are slightly wary of their first time with a barrister being cross-examined, and you've got five of us. So you are <laughs> unbelievably brave, Laura. So well done. Uh, thank you very much. Now, I'm going to ask everybody to introduce themselves, and so we'll go around. But we're going to start with you, Laura. Tell us where you are and um, what you're drinking. Thanks, Chris. Hi, everyone. So I'm Laura Archer. Um, I'm a planner at Barton Wilmore and I'm in Portsmouth, um, living in Portsmouth. But I do have an intruder in the shape of a Lambanana to represent where I'm originally from, which is Liverpool. Um, these were put around Liverpool in 2008 to celebrate the capital of culture. So if anyone doesn't know what it is, it's a lamb and a banana put together. So <laughs> just wanted to consider that, obviously. <laughs> and to stick with the theme of bright colours, I am drinking out of my very bright, ugly cup, um, <laughs> so a Disarano and Coke with Ooh, ice lovely. and lemon. So yes, cheers. That Thanks sounds absolutely lovely. Mary, where are you? Good evening, everyone. I am in Wandsworth, or, or as you can see, not in the woods, but I'm in the sort of art gallery is how I describe it in, uh, in Wandsworth. Uh, so my name's Mary Cook. I'm a partner and a barrister at Town Planning, at Town, Town Planning, Town Legal. And I'm drinking fizzy water. Sasha, where are you? Good evening, Chris. I am in Landmark. I'm in central London and I am drinking tea because I'm actually cycling home and I don't want to crash. And I also wanted to say in the date, look what I've got, lest we forget. Very important. And very important is we all of us pay tribute to those who've gone before us. So on a sombre note, but I'm in a very good mood because it is a very special week because Charlie's a thousand miles away. <laughs> <laughs> and, we'll come to that. And, and also, more importantly, my plea 
to the Foreign Secretary, Dominic Rabb, to quarantine those in Sweden hit home. And it <laughs> happened that evening, if everyone recalls, last week. <laughs> it, it happened within 20 seconds of you doing it. They're so scared of your judicial reviews. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is, it's government policy. Uh, I might be mentioning Westbury there. Um, Paul Tucker, where are you? Hello, Chris. Uh, still in Lancashire. Um, I'm on uh, the end of day one of a six-day inquiry. So whilst I want to be drinking my current favourite, which is uh, Brew Gooder Clean Water Lager, I'm tragically going to be drinking Brew Dog Nanny State, uh, uh, which is alcohol-free garbage. Um, <laughs> I've got to say, I love the fact you've got a lamb banana, uh, Laura. I, on, during the time of the Capital of Culture, I walked past the lamb banana at the top just near John Moore Street, near Dale Street. Uh, near John Moore University near uh, Dell Street and said to my instructing solicitor, what's that? At which this voice came from behind me, it's a lamb banana! <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. Goes well with the accent, yeah. yeah well, I'm so glad work, yeah. we've already got into accents. I feel much better now. Now, a bit of excitement, a bit of international dimension. Charlie Banner, where are you? I'm in Stockholm, Chris. Uh, I have left the UK to escape the lockdown uh, because I got three weeks of inquiries whilst my family are enjoying uh, Kiev, which is where my in-laws are from. And so I've taken lots and lots of core documents over with me to Stockholm, the home of ABBA, uh, on whose book my laptop is currently resting. And I've just completed the, the first day of any planning act planning inquiry to take place in Sweden. I should say, Chris, it's a good thing we're pre-recording this because otherwise by now, I think we would have had about 75 complaints about the change in host of this show um, and how, how um, there's been a significant uh, aesthetic um, change for the worst. Yes. Oh. That's, that's much, much better. Oh. That's why we all love you in Sweden. Uh, um, are you drinking anything, Charlie? I am, Chris. I'm drinking a glass of wine. I've had, um, as you know, um, a rather um, eventful day at the inquiry, uh, hopefully favourably so. Uh, and um, so, um, yes, having a nice glass of, of red wine, uh, not Swedish red wine, I should hasten to add. No, because that would probably be revolting. Disgusting. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much, everybody. I'm in Hogwarts Castle, as you know, which uh, is somewhere in the greater Cheltenham area. I am drinking what all young planners undoubtedly have. I'm drinking Muddy Wellies. Uh. Um, and I've got my owl presumption right back there, but he's feeling a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous about this evening's show. And um, so he's staying in the background, but he may feature later. Who knows? Okay, now the plan is to do a number of things in this 50 minutes. Um, first of all, Laura asked us if we could share our experience about digital events and um, we have a degree of experience with those so we thought we would share our experience of inquiries examinations in public hearings and even even webinars and discuss that um, just briefly amongst us to try and give a flavor of what young planners should expect at these events so i'm going to start off with inquiries and um, Sasha, you've been doing some inquiries, your observations. I have, I've been doing them in, I've just, just finished a very difficult inquiry in Leeds and my observations are, well, first of all, I want to make the global observation that sometimes we do put the boot into pins and the inspectorate, but I think their attempts to keep the process going, particularly at the moment is remarkable. And I know from Landmark's perspective, that I think we're thinking there's many inquiries actually taking place virtually now as 
as was happening pre-COVID. So in six months, they've got the system completely reorientated to take into account virtual inquiries. So I think we should commend them for that. Uh, my experience of virtual inquiries is I think unquestionably I would want them not to be permanent. I know we split amongst us, but I personally find four and a half to six hours looking at a computer extremely difficult. Add on the beginning and the end of the day when you talk to your team it is very onerous. And there's a unique type of kind of head thump, which I haven't yet got a name for, but <laughs> I think I'd both describe it as kind of frozen head where you almost feel your brain is kind of frozen into into kind of inertia as a result of staring at a computer screen in, intently for six, seven hours. I, I think in terms of practical steps, I think preparation is really important for those who are facing a virtual inquiry. The evidence needs to be clearer, crisper, and I think more focused than you'd get. I certainly think that's true in my experience for an examination in chief. It generally does merit being shorter and sharper. And I think the same is true from my experience of cross-examination. I think all us advocates need to use and are using the time more efficiently and we are much more focused in preparation. I think it is a different art being an advocate over a computer. I think generally I would say my experience is the behaviour is more measured. I think we're all behaving a bit more respectfully um, in the context. And I think it actually is of great assistance with the third parties who can can take part, can obviously it's much more convenient for them to participate and it's much easier for them. So overall, my experience has actually been pretty positive as a stopgap, but I would not, if I was asked to vote, and it'd be interesting what others say, I would definitely vote to go back to the previous. I would like physical inquiries, but I recognise maybe 90% physical inquiries, but the ability of third parties to come and give their evidence remotely for particular periods of time during the inquiry. Yeah, yeah. And Paul, what's what's been your experience? Um, I think I take a slightly more positive view, to be honest, and that's partly a quality of life issue. Um, uh, my, my cars over the last 20 years of my life have regularly had 30,000 on the clock uh, and devalued massively. And I've spent many unhappy hours on the M6 and on the West Coast mainline schlepping up and down the country and then staying in uh, flea pit hotels. Um, and I do mean flea pit hotels. Um, people may think that my life is glamorous. It really isn't. Actually, probably most people don't think my life is glamorous, actually. Um, <laughs> but the, the quality of life of, of working from home so that I can pick my, my youngest up from school, that I can spend time at lunch and have lunch with my family uh, is a huge, huge bonus. Uh, somebody said to me early on that they thought that we'd fallen asleep in 2020 and we've actually woken up or we will wake up in 2030 because this is going to be part of our lives. This is part of where we are. I think we will have interlocutory hearings in court cases by this format um, far, far more than, than we ever anticipated. I think some inquiries, for example, coming back to closing submissions, why on earth would we come back and all have to come into somewhere else? We, we can do it like this. Um, discussing conditions and 106, we can do it in this format. Um, I think where we do suffer is, is the cross-examination and also round tables, I think, suffer a little bit in relation to this format because you're missing the human signals, you're missing that human interaction. It's very more, it's much more formulaic. Now, that said, I agree with what Sasha had to say, which is that, that you've got to be more measured and you've got to be more concise. And it does expose witnesses who won't answer the damned question. Um, 
uh, so witnesses that decide you ask them a question that's the opportunity to say that tell you their life story as well as what they think their client wants to hear they they look pretty exposed out in in the in the forum so i think it, it does have its advantages and i think that there will be a role for it moving forward or at least if there isn't i've wasted a bloody fortune on a hd camera <laughs> light on rob on two screens or, no never never it's not a I've kept the receipts i'm a yorkshireman <laughs> yeah, no we can we can believe that i can't honestly believe that uh, you, you're not describing your life as glamorous although uh, i didn't inquire against sasha recently i'm for the developer the multi-million pound developer and i'm in a travel lodge in the middle of town he's somewhere in some country estate acting for the local authority and i thought well how does that work but you know sasha's Sasha's very persuasive. We know. Sasha doesn't even know what a travel lodge is, Chris. You might need to yes, explain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there is one secret that I should reveal, though, Chris, which is that whilst on the top I'm the swan, on the bottom. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Anything could happen then. I told you Anything. it wasn't glamorous. <laughs> no. Right now, not everybody spends all their time doing inquiries. We do a lot, though. But we also do an increasing number of hearings. So, Mary, um, you've done some virtual hearings. Is that right? Yep. Yep. What was your um, experience of those? Well, I, I think I'm with Paul um, in that I'm my experience was a positive experience. Um, that, that said, what I really missed was the atmosphere around the table. I missed the ability to go and talk to my opposite number. I missed the ability to have the opportunity to slip something new in front of my opposite number. Uh, I realized that I, you know, you can't do that when you're doing things digitally. So you, you have to think in advance. You have to uh, perhaps get in touch with your opposite number um, before the day and have whatever discreet discussions you want to have. You, you really do need to think a little bit more than, uh, about the choreography, or uh, I think, but uh, by and large, um, I, I agree with what uh, Sasha said about the discipline. I mean, I think that applies uh, both to inquiries and and hearings. Less grandstanding, more focus, um, yeah. and, and 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 that's a good thing. And you can't have you know the hissing and the boos and the clapping uh, because that doesn't that doesn't work either. Um, so it's, it's, it's a sort of pick and mix. And, and I think we'll look back and we'll take the best of our experiences and we'll retain those. Uh, and I think we will not go back to the, the way we were. And, and of course, the future is probably blended events, isn't it? A combination of uh, cross-examination uh, and digital discussion, if I can put it like that, and where appropriate written rep, rep representation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think we are going to see a bit more blended event. And I think that's more conducive to family life, actually, uh, and personal lives, uh, and having a little less time away in those delightful travel lodges or the four seasons of your Sasha. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a more... Charlie, Oh, sorry, um, Mary, go on, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say it's a more sustainable approach, isn't it? So, yeah, yes. Ab absolutely. Charlie, hearings? You've been um, doing inquiries, yeah, hearings? Yeah, oh, I mean, I, I, I agree with Mary, though. It's pick, pick and mix. And I've not done uh, planning hearings. I've done a judicial review uh, at a court of appeal case. And I've, I've sat as a judge in Kazakhstan, of all places, on a case turning on credibility. Uh, and all, all, all three of those, I didn't really think anything was lost. 
um, even in the case turning on credibility, which is sort of analogous to an enforcement appeal, actually, the thing about Zoom or, or Teams is you can mm. see people's facial expressions a lot more closely, actually. So it's easier to tell who's who's trying it on, actually. Um, and, and in a sense, court hearings, the team element is less significant. With inquiries, you've really helped to be in the same room as, as your team. We can't now, during lockdown, is my, my reading of the regulations, not everybody's, but it really helps. Um, but for court hearings, it's kind of, you know, really much more barrister-led. Uh, and I didn't think much was lost. That said, I did a, um, a, a very difficult hearing last week, uh, which was in person, my first in-person hearing since the first lockdown in March. Um, and um, I'm very glad it was done in person because the judges um, were quite sceptical of my case, as, as I thought they would be. Um, and um, it was, it, they asked a lot of questions. And the way an advocate persuades in court is to answer questions well. Um, whereas in uh, on-screen court hearings, I've noticed the judges tend not to ask so many questions because they think it gets in the way. Uh, and so it's harder to persuade a sceptical court and easier for court just to say no by default. So I was very pleased that, that was in, in person. Um, I think diversity angle is really important. You know, I mean, um, part of, of the challenges of diversity at the planning bar historically, I, I'm pretty sure, and by no means the whole part, but part of it has been reconciling the travel of, of associated with planning inquiries uh, with family life uh, and there are opportunities to temper that challenge uh, that this presents um, uh, and I think in terms of also how to what whether proceedings lend themselves to being done virtually it just depends I mean the inquiry I'm doing this week is a lot harder it feels like I'm paddling a lot faster underwater to be honest compared to the previous one I did an inquiry I did a couple of weeks ago which was more straightforward um, and so um, yeah those are my thoughts I think it's here to stay but not for everything I say yeah. I make a point, Chris, which I think we, is important also from the inspectors, because from our viewpoint, often we fear for the inspectors in the sense of a long inquiry condemns them to many nights on their own in even worse hotels and travel lodges. And I'm sure whilst it is a different process, it must be it will assist, I imagine, the recruitment of inspectors of calibre if the price is not endless weeks away on their own in not particularly nice hotels. So, uh, Paul, you've been um, involved in some EIPs together, um, including the South Oxfordshire one, which I believe was attended by 14,000 people. Is that right? Yeah, 14,000 of my very closest friends, or at least they were until I acted on behalf of one of the most controversial allocations. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, it's fair to say that uh, although my clients were quite happy with the results, uh, a large number of third parties weren't. Um, uh, from my client's perspective, it seemed to work very well. Uh, we were able to put our case, we were able to respond to points that were raised, able to respond to the uh, inspector's point. So we were quite comfortable. We were doing it in the same room, a, a room in, in Christchurch, Oxford, which was lovely. From a third party perspective, one of my colleagues, Martin Carter, who was acting for a group of third parties opposed to a different site, I'm happy to say, um, uh, uh, reports that, that there was much more scepticism about how well it worked for third parties. And that was partly because of the rules the inspector had imposed. On the Liverpool EIP, it was much more interactive, whereas on South Oxfordshire, it was very much you had one opportunity to speak and then you needed a good reason to, to speak afterwards. So I think part of it is how it's done. Um, but generally speaking, I think it's logistically much, much easier to do it on this format. And for EIPs in particular, I think that this is very much here to stay. Mary, your, your experience? Well, so so I, it's an interesting one because um, I've already had a, a, an experience where I haven't been confined to 
having one person speaking um, on the team. And I think one of the difficulties actually is the inconsistencies. And, and maybe that's down to the size of the examinations and the size of the participants. And, may, and maybe it's about the nature of the issues. Um, Chris, you and I next week are going to be taking part in the same examination. And there again, we are not being, um, uh, we're not being limited to the uh, numbers of people that we can have uh, speaking. Obviously, only one person can speak at, uh, at once. Um, so I, I think that there needs to be a little bit more consideration given to, to that point. Uh, but, but, but that said, um, I think it's a, it's a pretty effective forum, actually. And I think um, rather than being, if you remember, Paul, you and I uh, last Christmas were both appearing at an examination in York where we must have been one of 50, 60 people sitting around a huge table at the race course in York. Now, that was so large, uh, the inspector had trouble reading people's nameplates, let alone anything else. So I, I think you're right. For practical reasons, uh, it, it works quite well. I agree with Mary again. In fact, it sounds like I agree with Nick all over again. I agree with Mary. In fact, you know, I started this year with a month in Colchester United's football stadium in the North Essex EIP. In fact, Paul, you were there, weren't you? Um, I get everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. In your car, no doubt. And we're all wrapped around this um, this huge room, exactly as Mary described from, from your case. Your case. Um, whereas now it's, it's much more um, focused. I don't actually think anything's lost for me. I, my, my own I have a fairly cynical view of it. I don't. I think it's a fairly superficial process, to be quite honest. I don't think there's very much to lose from the IP process by doing it um, uh, electronically. In many cases, um, it also means makes it easier to deal with the fact that pins often impose, um, for I'm sure very you know, understandable reasons, they often impose the IP dates at very short notice, which can cause havoc with yeah. consultants and, and advocates' diaries. And in fact, you know, tomorrow. I'm ducking out of my inquiry to do the Windsor Maidenhead EIP, which ah. is all involved in Mary too. Yeah. So, so I'm going to be doing an EIP in the morning, going back to my inquiry in the afternoon, and Thursday back to the EIP and the inquiry again. So you can sort of be in multiple places, all from Stockholm. Um, now you know you wouldn't have you wouldn't have foreseen doing the Windsor being in Windsor Maidenhead, uh, Beverly, and Stockholm in the same day um, nine months ago, and um, so it does enable you to kind of duck in and duck out and avoid the diary challenges as a professional that um, the approach to the IPs can sometimes pose. Yeah. So, so Laura, let's ask about your experience. And um, you have obviously seen a few webinars in your time as well. And um, the digital experience, how has that been for you? Yeah, um, I'd say that um, obviously I've been involved in some webinars myself with the um, South Coast Young Planners. So I think it's been um, a good experience. Um, I think a lot, we get a lot more people attending um, than we obviously face to face. And obviously they're free, they can reach, you know, a wide number of audience. Mm. So I think there is a real positive there. I do think it's um, the only setback is sort of the networking after all, how you meet people and then connections and the chatter mm. in between. And that, I guess that's sort of maybe what I'm missing. Um, probably maybe at the stage of my career as well is that say office chatter um, or even just overhearing conversations or you know a, a colleague above me on the phone to a client and picking up them, mm. them details mm. that's what I think I'm missing I guess you know I feel for those people starting a new job and the first time mm. they meet people is you know on zoom or teams so yeah I really do think but I do think it's really good for obviously like you say quality of life um, spending more time at home but I do think a mix um, would would be really good to have. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I, just... I, could, I couldn't agree with you more and I think it's young people who have suffered the most in not mm-hmm. being in the office the interaction um, and mm. I think people are sort of a bit older and settled at home and that you know mm. and they've got the garden and the dog and and uh, it's all very convenient. <laughs> but but where, how did we all learn? We all learned by watching mm. other people. So I'm with Sasha here. I, I don't want this as my future. I'll take it as part of it. Yeah. But um, I just want to be with people. You know, we're, we're social animals, aren't we? We just want to uh, interact yeah. and be involved in that. And that okay. and yeah. Sorry, Sasha, go on. Yeah, and one of the joys of the work, one of the things I most enjoy is the is the team spirit and camaraderie that you get from spending sustained time. What happens at the end of an inquiry, generally at the end of the day, all anyone wants to do is get away from their computer because they've been on it since eight o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. When in a hotel, one of the great things is the evening get together where everyone is more relaxed and willing to chew over the day at length. And when do yeah. we ever get a chance to have banter with our professional colleagues, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But can I, I, I do think one of the, the, one of the downsides of the, of the digital revolution, all the things we've said are are good. Some of you will spend less time in your chambers. I mean, some of you probably aren't spending very much time in your chambers anyway, unless you're going there for meetings anyway, but that it's harder for the youngsters to learn from, from you if you're not in the in, in, in chambers, in the office. Every, I think every profession uh, will experience this. But it, I mean, it's, it, it, things change. I mean, Paul, you know, pick up a Paul's bite was a joke, but it's true. We literally would not be here right now. That yellow sign would not be existing yeah. if it wasn't for the lockdown. You know, it's, yeah. you, you do things in different ways. You know, it's, a positive, it's, it's a positive aspect. But Laura, you know what? I think young people applying for jobs and in planning and elsewhere, one of the critical questions they're going to be asking employers in the future is how much time will I have in the office and how much do you expect me to stay at home in my bed sit with my three housemates? And I think that will become a key mm-hmm. indice when people are choosing where they go. So woe betide those consultancies who think that they can do without an office or just have a general serviced office. What you can offer young people in terms of that experience of being in the office will be how people decide whether they want to go to one firm or another, in my view. Um, I must tell you, given that you corrected me about the number of Henry VIII's wives, I must tell you, it's index, mate. Okay. They don't teach that in Worcester. No, no, clearly not. No. But I also think, Chris, Chris, (laughs) I think there's there's another point, which is, is mental well-being. I think the distinction between office and home is really important. And the blurring of that distinction has unquestionably had an effect on people's well-being in the lockdown. I think yeah. it is psychologically important to go to work and come home from work. And we need yeah. to retain that. Yeah, Absolutely. but I, Chris is right. The future is about agile working policies and people, all businesses will need to develop agile working policies. And they'll need to make a special effort to bring people together um, in firms whether, you know, for social occasions, for training, for learning, um, because that's the way that the youngsters will uh, grow and and thus help themselves and the businesses they work for. But, but Mary, you're right about the sustainability point. I mean, going back to South Oxfordshire, um, the, the, that case, I must have done seven or eight cons since the start of lockdown, where we had experts from all over the country, different clients. Now, whereas previously it would have been Two, two, three hour drive down to Oxford for me, people coming from all over the country to sit down in a meeting where the meeting might not have warranted being there for more than an hour. But because we've all gathered, we've parked the cars 
um, we, we have to, to make it worthwhile and justify a two-hour meeting, then all drive back. Um, in sustainability terms, this is quite a remarkable change because the technology was here, we just never used it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now, we're never going yeah. to not use it unless we absolutely have to go on a site visit. Um, I mean, I want to see colleagues. I want to see people in, in, in change. Yeah. I want to have the meetings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is a very efficient way of working for continuous cases. We'll be doing site visits by drones in future. Yeah. But I mean, again, in a sense, that probably was already, all that all this was done as accelerate the inevitable. I mean, I, I know that, um, you know, certain landscape consultancies have been looking at virtual reality. They already do augmented reality and, you know, put the goggles on and you can see the, the future. This is what the development would look like. You know, so that sort of thing um, was happening anyway. And this has just brought it forward. Yeah, I agree. Now, come on, you lot. You just keep talking. OK, I've got a program here. Let's stick to this. All right, boss. Right, okay. Sorry, now, next, sorry. Next, uh, Laura asked us all to address this. OK, and this is really important. It's um, to give our own experience of um, career development and leadership and advice for the next generation of planners. So we're going to start with Mary. What advice? Do you have for young professionals, young planners? First of all, I would say enjoy your work, enjoy your life, stay fit, use social media to your advantage. Um, always be polite, honest, and never be afraid to ask a question. The minute you are afraid to ask a question, you're going to stop learning as much as you could learn. And, you know, whether that's a question of your boss, a question of your client, uh, of anyone, never, never be afraid. Um, I, I think don't be too hard on yourself uh, would be m m my advice. Try different approaches. Be prepared to succeed. Be prepared to fail. Um, and, and just make the most out of life. I don't believe that young planners today will be like any of the rest of us currently on this panel with the exception of, the, of you Laura which is to say most of us have stuck up the same job most uh, most of our professional lives I don't think that the future will be like that I think people will be using their skills a decade here a decade there in a different way um, before they finally you know decide what suits them the most and I, I think that's actually really rather refreshing I think one of the bad things about the past is that there's been an expectation that you sort of leave school, maybe you go to university, you get a job, and then what? You stick at that job and you, you're on this sort of ladder and it's all very hierarchical. I, I don't think that's the future. And I'm, I'm rather, rather sad I'm not young, young, young enough today to you know, make the most of that. Thank you, Mary. That's a rather exciting future, isn't it? I like the sound of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, think... Paul. Yeah, I, sorry, I, I'm going to change what I was going to say because Mary reminded me of, of my Emperor's New Clothes moment in terms of making sure that you ask the, the obvious question. When I did the Lancaster Local Plan Inquiry back in the mid-14th century, um, Lancashire County Council had this great proposal. Lancashire, Lancaster, they thought, couldn't have park and rice. It wasn't big enough. So we'll have these things called park and walk, and we'll run this amazing prototype of park and walk of these orbital car parks around the city centre, um, for which people will park and then then walk. And we called this thing, and we thought it was great, and DETR were, were, were watching what we did. And there's this old chap at the back of the inquiry that sat there for day in, day out. And when it came to his turn, he asked questions of Lancashire County Council. So this, this idea of uh, park and walk, it's, um, it sounds great, but isn't it just parking? 
Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Never be afraid to ask that question. We were humiliated. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, uh, Charlie? Um, Again, I I agree with all that. I'd say don't take yourself too seriously. Be creative. Have lots of ideas. Don't let the bastards get you down. You know, forget the naysayers and the doubting Thomases. Give me a couple of beat that out. Um, I have have a hobby. I have lots of hobbies. You know, we all work really, really hard, and we all should work really, really hard because we're conscientious professionals. But you know, I, I amongst the things I love running, uh, running, listening to eighties rock music and, and art, and that's what keeps me sane, along with the family. Very good, Sasha. Yeah, I agree with two points. Charlie's, I think, always have a hinterland, have things which are completely distinct from work. That's always helped me enormously. Have a life that does not relate to your standing success, failure at work. And the second thing I think is, is do the hard yards. I think all five of us have done, and hopefully this is the same for Laura, do things that your instinct is not to do. I've often had the most the best moments professionally in doing things which I really feared and dreaded and actually made them work. And I think particularly for young planners to do that, do things, put your hand up and be offered to give evidence when you're pretty terrified about doing it, offer to take on a case that you're really concerned might be beyond your experience and depth, because if you succeed, it's the best feeling in the world. So take yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And learn to deal with difficult clients. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. if you can do that, if you can do that, nothing will phase you. Yeah. Not even Chris Young cross-examining you. No, not, <laughs> not even that. But I, I, for myself, I think the advice I would give is just back yourself, you know, just back yourself. We're not always right and you're not always wrong, but just just believe in what you're saying because you will have thought it through before you say it. Um and the other thing is, don't worry uh, at any stage in your career about your background, because it's all about talent. It's all about whether you make the right point at an EIP, um, you make a good answer in cross-examination, you write a good planning statement. It, it, we, we live, fortunately, in a largely meritocratic professional space, and um, it isn't about your background. And you can see somebody at the background there. That's mm-hmm. my son who's come in for some some reason hello fella all right, all right. <laughs> family life that's a there's, good there's part a, of the balance there's a, time, there's a time and a place for playing it by the textbook and playing it safe um no but no one no great person in history played it safe all the time no no one you know yeah. advanced humanity by being cautious uh you know or playing to the textbook that you know be creative that's really important actually be inventive be creative don't just play safe yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't agree with you more. Right. OK. Um, now, Laura came up with this fantastic question. I absolutely love this. Laura said, under the rule of six, if you had a dinner party, who would you invite to that dinner party and why? Now, I'm going to encourage you all to be relatively quick on this, but I'm after five names because obviously we're there. So it's got to be five names. Um, and I'm going to start that um, with you, Laura, who who would you have at your dinner party? I mean, so obviously I'm at my dream dinner party, but obviously I did I did think of five other names though. <laughs> so, um, but I thought when I was thinking about my dinner party, I thought you know who could I think to um, put the world to rights currently? So, um, 
to be a bit light, I thought of three comedians who I quite like. So it's Stephen Fry, um, Dawn French and Rosie Ramsey. I, I think all three of them are very open in their struggles or mental health um, and also would bring a bit of lightness um, to the party. Um, Hashi Mohammed, um, I would also invite him. Um, obviously, everyone knows what people like us. I um, encourage you to read if you haven't read it. Um, Social mobility. And I think he really inspires um, generations to become um, a barrister. So I think um, he would definitely be on my dinner table. And I really hope my family don't watch because I'm actually a Liverpool fan, but I would have Marcus Rashford currently um, in the situation now um, with his campaign to free school meals. So that would be my five at the dinner party. Brilliant. Okay, Charlie. John Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora, Tico Torres, David Bryan, Alec John Such, the original lineup of Bon Jovi. Can you imagine the karaoke with me involved in? Can't you just, wait. You don't need to explain that. Okay, okay. Paul. Uh, yeah, I love I love the reference to Hashi. Hashi could be a, a great and in terms of role models for young planners, absolutely top notch. Um, can't praise him enough. In terms of mine, I used to be on our our chambers uh, interview panel for recruitment. And when you've got a, a group of graduates that are coming along for a job and they're telling you what you think you want to hear, we used to ask them the question, who would you want at a dinner party, real or, real or imagined? And the worst ones that come forward going, Lord Justice, Judge, Mr. Andrew Gilbart. And they're telling you the things they want to hear. And I had one of my, my then, uh, what, who, chap who became my pupil say, Claudia Schiffer. And the next follow-up question was, why? His response was, why do you think? <laughs> <laughs> we took yeah. him on. My answer, my answer would be Freddie Mercury, for exactly the same reasons as, as Charlie gave in terms of heroes. I saw his last concert at Nebworth, uh, taken too, too soon, and I'd love to spend the evening oh, with Freddie Mercury, probably up to the port. Can we Zoom our dinner party so we could do our super bands together? Great <laughs> idea. Yeah, we'll, we'll join Charlie. <laughs> we'll do that anyway. <laughs> OK, uh, next up, Mary. Well... Jurgen Klopp, for reasons which uh, are, are, are apparent, because you know, you all know, well, well, Laura may not, but anyway, he's very fanciable as far as I'm concerned, so that's why I want him there. I would invite Warren Gatlin, because I'd like to talk about the Lions tour of South Africa and who he's going to choose. I'd like the Archbishop of Canterbury to come along, because I'd like to ask him about why he's not supporting same-sex marriage. I'd like Angela Hartnett to come and do the cooking and Harry Styles to sing to us all. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, I love the fact you just declared who you fancied and that's the first on your list. Okay. <laughs> Sasha? Recording, Mary. <laughs> I'm going to have the five people I've loved the most in my life beyond my family, so I'm afraid live up to as Chris said to me once it's well known your love of Arsenal throughout the planning bar so I'm going to live up to my to what people think and I've got the five people I've loved as strongly as anyone else on this planet Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, Ian Wright, Liam Brady, Patrick Vieira and my greatest love of all Charlie Nicholas who chose Arsenal over Man U and Liverpool and made me I was going into a geography O level when he chose to join Arsenal and that made my summer of 1983. <laughs> Those are my six. Whether the food will get burnt, it almost oh, certainly yeah. will, but we'll have a great night. <laughs> and can I just say, despite you know, the, the joking aside, the honest answer to who I'd love to have dinner with right now is Mary Cook, Chris Young, Paul Tucker. And <laughs> I know. Absolutely, genuinely. And I can't wait for that to happen. 
to be fair to everyone, and people should know this, notwithstanding having done this as our 20th episode or whatever it be, we have not been together. And no. it'll be one of the great nights when we finally get together and um, we'll have the vaccine in the afternoon and get together in the evening. <laughs> yeah, can we clear the diary the day after? <laughs> so, Chris, who would you have? Okay, all right. Uh, number one, the Pope. I love the Pope. I'm not a Catholic, but I just think he's such a great guy. Okay, mm. and uh, you know, I, I I went to your chambers, Paul, and I got interviewed, and I got that question. You weren't there, but I got that question, <laughs> and they asked me who out of history would I have, and I said Jesus. <laughs> uh, didn't go down so well, but you know, uh, <laughs> you went to my chambers. And I didn't know about it. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know about it. Okay, Just tell so me the they Pope, rejected you. I, th I think the Pope's amazing. Uh, from a completely non-religious, just a humanitarian mm. view, he's amazing. Um, Annie Lennox, I really oh. fancied Annie Lennox, and she is such a wonderful woman. So completely uh, her. Alex Turner, I absolutely love the Arctic Monkeys. So I think he's such a brilliant poet of the kind of kitchen sink variety. Um, <laughs> Daley Thompson, uh, yes. when I was growing up, my absolute hero, yes. Daley yes. Thompson. I completely loved brilliant. him. Um, and um, Lady Hale, because I think, you know, what an amazing, what an amazing woman to get to the Supreme Court. And um, so there's my five. Um, right. Uh, judge for that what you will. Um, <laughs> now, next question is most embarrassing moment in your career to date. Right. I'm going to start this off. I had my most embarrassing moment most recently in a digital inquiry. Um, uh, one of the other side's experts was going on quite a bit. Um, and I pressed the mute button and turned to my team late in the afternoon. And he said, I said, you know what? I just don't care. I think you probably do care, said Inspector <laughs> Downs, who noticed <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't actually oh. put it on me. I think you probably do care, Mr. Young. <laughs> Pretty embarrassing. Right. Uh, Sasha. Well, I, I've thought about this a bit. I, I, my breakthrough in my career was back in 1998. I got my first Tesco instruction, having appeared against them. And I got the papers and I looked at them for about five hours thinking, wow, what a moment. And actually, Laura will like this because my conference was in Portsmouth. <laughs> and I went for about an hour before the conference, settled into the conference room. The clock swung round. Half an hour after the due time, no one had turned up. And I was sitting in the wrong Tesco store. So my <laughs> debut conference with Tesco, I went to the wrong place. So mm. there lies a lesson. Check where you're supposed to be, when, <laughs> where. And that was a pretty embarrassing moment when I turned up an hour later, sheepishly. I can think of another very embarrassing moment you had in the inquiry, Sasha, when I was your junior, but we won't go there. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th I think I told you, told you one embarrassing, which is the Lancaster Local Plan one. So um, I, I did a, an enforcement prosecution against my former pupil, Matthew Copeland, where my client had put a caravan on a parcel of land and was prosecuted for not complying with an enforcement notice. And there was a defect in the information. And Matthew Copeland sidled up to me at the magistrate's court and said, we're going to have to withdraw the prosecution. Um, so he withdrew the prosecution. And then about 11 years later, I got a phone call from a Welsh firm of solicitors who I'd never heard of before to tell me that they had the chap who was in the caravan in the room and he'd like a word with me. 
And I said, yeah, that's fine. And he put a, he was on, on a conference call and he said, um, well, Mr. Tucker, you managed to get that enforcement notice quashed. And, um, and I've been living in the caravan for the last 10 years. So I want to apply for a lawful development certificate. And I said, but you're in breach of the enforcement notice. Yes. So it doesn't, time doesn't run. Right. So why have I been li living in a caravan for the last 10 years then? <laughs> so can I help you with that? <laughs> and that's gospel truth. That happened. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, Mary? Well, my story is a little bit like Sasha's in that um, I went to Brent Ford when I should have gone to Brent Wood. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That was pretty stupid. Charlie? Uh, first time ever in the Supreme Court on my feet on the HS2 challenge where there's seven, nine judges, my head of chambers, Tim Mole, David Elvin, Natalie, all these great guys, and I was following David Elvin. Um, and David said to me in the morning, I won't be, I'll, I'll, I'll be all the way through to lunch, you'll be on at two o'clock. And of course, David being David at 12.50, he said, my lords, I'll, I'll take the last bit of my submissions um, as read, if I may, and sat down and landed me in it with 10 minutes to go. And I only had an hour slot and I had spent weeks preparing for this one hour slot, having nightmares about being poleaxed by Lord Sumption. And so I stood up, started giving my submissions and... Um, and, and Lord Newberg leant forward after a minute and said, Mr. Banner, you are allowed to take the lectern from Mr. Elvin and put your notes on it. And I basically just stood up and giving my submissions ad lib, very, very nervously. He said it in the tone of Mr. Banner, you are allowed to pull your trousers up now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. yes, I hate, Laura, this is proving to you. I hate, Laura, this is proving to you that we all make mistakes and that young planners mm. need not worry about doing it because we've all yeah. done it. We've all gone to the wrong place, said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing and yeah. haven't pressed that mute button. And um, are you going to confess to anything? <laughs> um, actually, it's sort of like um, Sasha and Mary. So when I moved down here um, on my own, I went to the RTPI Southeast dinner and I stayed. It was in Lady Margaret Hall in Oxford. Um, and so I came out my accommodation and I was on my own and it was garden drinks. So I just went to the first garden I saw, picked up a glass of um, champagne, we started speaking to people and we got, um, I thought it was obviously all planners. Turns out, and they turned around and said to me, and how do you know Annabelle? And it turns out to me that she was the bride and I crashed a wedding. So <laughs> <I had> to... <laughs> oh, brilliant. But they let me keep the champagne. I had to walk all the way around then to find the actual garden party on the other side, which was the RTPI. Brilliant. You win. Laura, we... Yeah, that's really good. Charlie and I did that at a Silks dinner, a Silks drinks party for someone in Chambers. We spent an hour and a half at the wrong drinks party. I forgot that. After about an hour and a half, we said, it's strange we don't recognise anyone here. <laughs> <laughs> it was better than the real party, wasn't it, if I remember right? <laughs> oh, I hope they're not listening. Better champagne, is that what you're saying? It must have been a commercial lawyer. Um, now, we uh, are doing this recorded, so we can't do live questions. But, Laura, you did have a question that, um, uh, which is in relation to inquiries. So what, what was it that you would like us to just briefly answer? Yeah, just briefly, it was just, um, what advice would you give to young planners um, on the first inquiry or hearings? Okay, I'm going to start with that. And that is prepare, 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 which is all that we ever do is you get rid of all your nerves or you reduce them as much as possible by being prepared. And I have to say, in my experience, some of the absolute most startlingly brilliant um, 
witness performances that I have seen have been young planners who have never given evidence mm. before, but they're so unbelievably well prepared that they're ready for anything. And so preparation is everything. Mary? I agree. I, honestly, it, that's it. It's prepare, prepare, prepare. And do not talk too quickly. And a silent, a silent moment is, is okay. Don't be terrified of your own silent moments. Very true. Charlie? I mean, ditto, uh, but having prepared, if you're a bit nervous the morning before or the, the morning of, do what you do get that side hobby. Go for a run, listen to some music, do something, do something that's in your comfort zone that relaxes you. Um, you've already done your prep and that will get you in the zone. Sasha? I think I, my strongest piece of advice is answer the question and, and give your evidence credibility. The, the trap that far too many fall in is a terror of letting, of making damage to their case. So they lose credibility by not answering the questions in an accurate and fair way. Be fair, be objective, be credible, and don't be partisan. Partisan evidence just means the inspector stops listening and it's catastrophic. You know, I think that's a great piece of advice because we certainly see it perhaps mm. possibly from some older, more experienced witnesses. They're giving a very long prevaricating answer and young planners might think, oh, well, that's good. You know, he's mm. really mm. explaining that or she's really explaining that and she's getting away from the question. But actually their credibility is taking a nosedive. And if you can mm. get to answer the question, add the caveat if you need to, but you... Um, when you see people taking a long time, that isn't really necessarily the best way to do it. Finally, Paul, then, what's... Uh, what's yeah, your I, yeah, the, the, the corollary of, uh, of Sasha's point, really, which is maintain your professional integrity. Um, planning is a profession. Uh, you are bound by a code of conduct. Um, if there is a point to concede, concede the point. Sometimes your credibility can go through the roof if you concede an obvious point rather than trying to cling on to a mm. point and argue it because you're then devaluing all the rest of your points. Whereas an inspector will give much more weight to somebody who he thinks has professional integrity. Um, so maintain your professional integrity. That's the way you keep your reputation. That's the way you make a name for yourself. And it's a profession that you should be proud of. Well, fantastic. So Laura, thank you very much indeed. This has been enormous fun. We love doing the show anyway, but this, this one has been particularly <laughs> special. <laughs> And uh, I feel we've been able to be uh, let our hair down a bit, um, quite quite literally. So thank you ever so much. So from us, it's good night. We hope everybody has enjoyed the conference. Um, as Paul said, you belong to a fantastic profession, and we wish you every success in your future. Bye bye. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Well, that was the show. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, uh, please do consider making a charity donation. And if you want to watch us as well as listen, the show is broadcast live at 5pm on a Thursday. And it's also available afterwards to view on our YouTube channel. Thanks very much to our producer and IT guru, Rob Newbury of Blue Bear IT. Music was provided with the permission of the Ruby Tuesdays.